How do you bring life into routine company training, even in a pandemic? Next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. If you've worked at any large company, you've probably taken the annual compliance training. Don't worry if you can't remember, they aren't that memorable. Rochelle Tanner gambled on trying a new approach for Microsoft, adding storylines, characters, and drama. A success for the last few years, the scope changed as the company switched to working remotely. Now, Rochelle isn't some Hollywood producer. She's a senior attorney in Microsoft's Corporate, External, and Legal Affairs Group. Rochelle, welcome. So as a senior corporate counsel in compliance and ethics, you're aware of problems occurring with employees. And I would think they have to range from the criminal to the accidental slip up. Uh, Let's talk about some of these new areas where everyone working remotely is. Is there one thing that, that stands out in the last year? Well, I'd say uh, confidentiality is a big concern. So what stands out really is people not being aware of their surroundings and confidential information being exposed. There are some folks, even though I would hope no Microsoft people are doing it, but it does happen that people do share computers. And so when everybody's at home trying to do uh, things together, that's another area I think that we've had to look at. Right. Yeah. The old, uh, uh, I mean, I learned the the Windows lock button to walk away from the computer back in the day when I was at a, a company that if you left your computer that way, someone would monkey with your computer, usually as a joke, but it got me into the training of doing that. I would also add, you know, some of the typical things that we would do when we're in an office setting, of course, you know, uh, people talk about the water cooler conversation and that sort of thing. But, you know, we might regularly consult with our, our colleagues or, you know, get check and a decision um, because it's easy because somebody's right there. You can even holler across the hall or walk across the hall. That's something we don't have. And so we are literally probably working more in isolation, just even in, you know, how we approach our work. And so that's something to be aware of also. And I think, you know, we need to be more intentional about, you know, having those communications. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I've been talking about for everyone is just yeah, how to, how those things work out on that. And then we're around devices that listen more, right? Because a lot of people have homes that are wired with Alexa or other people that have these machines that we usually don't have at work. Is that been an issue? Or is that, I should say, should that be an issue for people to think about? It's definitely been called to folks' attention, especially those people who work on highly confidential matters, you know, things that are highly trade secreted. Having that, having that device, you know, we ask that people disconnect it if, if it's in the room where they're having such meetings. I'm kind of old school. I'm from a different generation. I feel like everything's listening. I'm always worried about my phone. And, you know, I'm one of those people that I was talking to somebody about something and then I go and start searching for something and it pops up immediately. I'm like, wait, how did it know <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about? So, you know, it's, I get nervous about that stuff anyway. But yes, from a, a company perspective, 
since we've been put on notice that some of these listening devices are actively listening and recording, you know, for whatever purposes, you know, we have to, we have to behave accordingly. So you're responsible for the standards of, of business conduct training that we do at, at Microsoft. Now, I would think most big companies do this. It's a, it's kind of a, a look at how to be uh, more, I would say, ethical, but hopefully all companies think about ethics. But most companies usually do this through, I would assume, reading materials or, or, or talking heads. Is, is that what most companies do usually? I'd say most corporations do have at least an annual standards of business conduct style training. And it would be, I mean, it probably runs the gamut, but I would say they look like typical corporate training. You know, it's either a knowledge check based exercise where, you know, there's a topic, a scenario, and then a test about how you would respond. And I think people typically see it as a chore that they have to do every year to get on back with their work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I've uh, uh, been in corporate uh, America for uh, 25 years. Yeah, I would say that. Now, uh, let's take people through uh, the process. You've decided to approach this a little differently. Where'd this idea come from? Yeah. Well, when I started in Microsoft in uh, September of 2016, the compliance and ethics team had just started this Microsoft Runs on Trust campaign to really um, support the reality that, you know, the core of our strength is the trust that people have in us and how we should then value that. And at the same time, we did have the same corporate training that I just described for our standards business conduct. I'd like to say it was a step up in regular corporate training, very polished, high production value. Uh, in fact, Microsoft for years had been using a production company that also, you know, did Hollywood movies. So it was it was great. But when I would ask around about the standards of business conduct, since I knew I was a new employee and now I was going to be responsible and trying to figure out if employees hated it or what, what was going to be the case, I found that a lot of people didn't know what I was talking about if I said standards of business conduct or SBC. Kind of, it took a while for me to let them know which training it was, which seemed odd to me um, since it was a yearly required training. But also being new to Microsoft, it was clear, it was easy for things to get lost in the shuffle. There are so many things to focus on, to see. I can attest to that, yes. Okay, good. So one of my thoughts for sure was, you know, I got to get people's attention with whatever we do. If we really want them to pay attention to this new Microsoft Runs on Trust campaign and look at this course, this annual course is more than, you know, some drudgery you have to get through. And I'm exaggerating, but you know, let's get their attention. So that was my first thought. And um, the rest kind of came from there. <laughs> yeah. So I know there's a couple links that it's for employees, but we do have a couple public links we'll put in, in the show notes. You have, you built stories, you built a small movie with uh, characters and problems that was filmed like you would do as a uh, show. It just happens to be about training and compliance and, and eth really ethics of when things pop up sometimes and a lot of times you don't realize that you're caught in an issue and we have these characters and it seemed to work well because we you've done four seasons now that's right i'm currently working on season five but yes i mean to, to, to be more specific you know the thinking was you know instead of trying to teach all of these rules for people to retain and know when to apply them when they pop up you know, let's let's hit them at a higher level. Let's focus on values, who we are as a company, and then work on creating scenarios that are realistic. You know, I think some of the challenges with training in general is 
you know, it's in a particular context, you're taking training and you're answering a test and moving on. You know, in real life, it might not feel the same way as training. So you might not immediately connect the dots. So with the storytelling, the idea, you know, I work with subject matter experts to find out what's really going on at Microsoft, make the story very Microsoft specific, um, which you can do in tons of ways that are outside of the actual learning content. You know, I like to say it's like a Netflix drama. I sort of pattern it off of one of those. You know, we have episodes I put, you know, I make it suspenseful and we can talk about why I do that. But yeah, the the idea is to make it relatable. You want to keep people watching, engaged and actually looking forward to the next episode. So it's no longer drudgery. It's like, what's going to happen to this particular character? I'd also say that the characters, when you, again, think about typical training to the extent they have characters, you maybe don't ever care about the character because it's just, you know, somebody's name, a picture and whatever they did and you move on. But with what we do here is one, we we make our characters multi-dimensional. So our most popular character is Nelson. From season one, he was kind of conflicted because he kind of did something wrong and we wanted him to speak up. And his character was written after I had read Mindset, which was at the time something we were, you know, reading Satya had asked the whole company to read it just prior to me getting there. So I was doing everything I was supposed to do as a new employee and really understood, you know, the value of a growth mindset. And so we wanted, I wanted to show, have at least one character that had a fixed mindset, but that could slowly transition to having a growth mindset. And the fixed mindset was around, you know, a fear of looking like he didn't know it all, um, thus trying to cover up his, his initial error, which just let him down a path of more problems rather than, you know, had he took some, had some faith and trust in Microsoft that if he brought up his issue, you know, we could resolve it together. I got to bring everyone up who's not a Microsoft employee or just got here new. You've created a sensation. I mean, if you put a listing of pictures and names of people who work at Microsoft, hopefully the number one choice, everyone would know who Satya Nadella was, our CEO. But if you put Nelson's name and picture, he would easily, I would think, be in the top 10 of like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Is I mean, do you get fan mail? Of does Nelson get fan mail? Nelson does get fan mail. Nelson's a real actor, of course. And actually, since I think after season two, because you know he was being recognized, I think he, I think on his day job, he sold glasses somewhere, and Microsoft employees went to see him and get so excited. But he moved to Hollywood, you know. To, to, he figured he's gonna make it big now. So we actually have to fly him here every time we record him now. So he's been a big star. And I think it's great. And I think you're right. I I feel like, honestly, he's probably a top three (laughs) or four recognizable Microsoft uh, (laughs) person. Don't don't tell any leaders I said that. But, you know, that's my sense. (laughs) Oh, I think they would agree, though. I think they would agree. I hope I I don't want you to tell me, but I hope you sign him to a long term contract uh, if he goes if becomes famous. Well, yeah, he's 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 promised. Yeah. So you've done a couple seasons. You've got characters down. We have reoccurring characters. We You even tease the upcoming seasons with uh, coming attractions reel, which is like no one probably does that with training material. And then this world changes in March of 2020. Where were you in the process for the next season when the pandemic hit? So it was about this time, you know, last year. And I had written the storyline for the for season four, you know, I guess realizing by mid-February that we could have a problem. We were planning to travel to Mexico for to film part of the course. It was going to be our first year doing a global course. And 
truthfully, this time last year, I was sort of at a loss. I was depressed <laughs> in a lot of uh, ways and just wondering how we were going to make that course. But I was working with a production company that was pretty creative. And, you know, after a little bit of, of sadness, you know, I decided to do what I always do and figure it out. <laughs> and so um, that's what we did in terms of how we would film, you know, how you could create a course in keeping with what we've done before that we know a lot of the communications, if we're making it realistic, would be teams meetings. And then thinking about, well, gosh, who would want to watch a big, big group of teams meetings when we're already in them? You know, sort of how do you, how do you, how do you continue the course and, and do it justice under, and also make it relevant and relatable to current times? Um, so that was the challenge, but I feel like, you know, we got there for sure. Right. And like Hollywood, you have to balance what the look and the feel is to know that you want it in reality base. But yeah, uh, we're watching, you know, everyone's at home doing teams anyway. They don't want to see the the teams training on that. So any stories about filming that? Because again, you're, you know, Hollywood's trying to do this and they've got folks that uh, have gone through a lot of these issues with big budgets. We're kind of new in this game. What was something that came out of trying to film it? And are you on set at all for any of this? Yeah. So last, the last filming, no, we, we filmed everything pretty much. Everybody was at home because uh, we were in isolation. And so we sent GoPro cameras to the actors. So all but one of them agreed to be the film inside their home. So what we did is, you know, so we'd have a teams meeting, but you'd have also the interior of their home look. So we could, we could change from the screen look to them being, you know, inside. And so, and then we set up their offices the way many people have had set up their offices at that time. Like we'd have laptops on a book, you know, um, just different things that felt very like how we were doing it. But at the time, again, nobody was really prepared for all this at home. And so there were a lot of makeshift things. So we did, did some of, you know, capturing that in the film. And then, you know, we have certain characters that typically are, you know, exercise or what have you. And so we would, you know, we filmed some scenes outside as well. And I should just back up and say, for the way that we filmed, we used Teams and we, at the time, a product that was in existence called Mixer to be able to stream the filming, to be able to work with the actors and practice um, so that, again, we all could be doing it from inside our own homes. And we did the same thing in Beijing. At the time, Beijing was, so instead of going to Mexico, because Mexico was closed and we couldn't travel there, we worked with a Beijing Microsoft team and connected with MS Studios there. And from there, hired a production company in Beijing. It was open. And so we were able to also film in the Beijing office. So that it really worked great because, again, we didn't want a one. I wanted a global course and we didn't want a course that was just all confined to teams. And so we could have uh, we had a lot of the employees in our Beijing office uh, as extras. We did scenes where they're all in a conference room. And then we could tie that to Redmond through one of our Redmond characters. It really worked out great and and still amazing. I, uh, we, we filmed that. Um, we started at like 5 p.m. one day and finished at 8 a.m. in the morning. So around 2 o'clock, I just thought a.m. I was feel like I was in this weird dream in Beijing because really we were there. I'm looking through my computer at live as we're filming scenes, it was like, like delirious. I remember I was mad at everybody. We, we all took pictures of each other, what we were doing, because I think we were supposed to be finished a certain time. And, 
And it, it took us twice as long as we had planned to get it done. Because I should add, we also had to work with a translator to for every scene. And I had to have someone in my ear telling me what they just said and whether that made sense. And it was it was cumbersome, but very cool. I have to ask this question because I've done a little filming here in my office. Uh, if you're doing some filming in your own place, are you suddenly cognizant of about, oh my gosh, I got to make sure I don't film against this wall or I can't show that thing off or gosh, I wish someone would bring me some plants. <laughs> no, not for me. I I am very particular about my surroundings because I before the pandemic, I would write here at home. And I have this weird kind of, I don't know if it's weird or not, but I, every angle I like to look and see like space, like not a lot of clutter and like sort of beautiful things. So if you were to, well, I guess, you know, maybe you saw part of my place, but yeah, it pretty much always looks like that. I wasn't too worried. I was a little worried about showing my house, but at the same time, that's, it was very realistic and in keeping with what's going on (laughs) during the time. So it seemed right. But no, I wish I would have given some budget to upgrade or, you know, get a better TV or who knows what. But um, no, any dime we had went to production and all the special effects that we had to do to put certain things together. No, it's great. And I, again, it's it's uh, it was amazing how it's put together and how, again, people can just work in these situations and do it. But I do know from our earlier conversation, there was one thing you changed in your home in the last year, uh, a certain companion. Well, yeah. I mean, back to what you're saying earlier about, or what I was saying earlier about when, when things change so suddenly, you know, my, I guess, fear or concerns were like future. Like what, what is this going to do to society? Well, you know, am I going to feel safe? And I, for some reason, I, you know, I think there were news stories of, you know, we're, we're releasing, you know, people from jail as they should. But I just started thinking, well, what does that mean? You know, I, I was just like adding all the dots. And I thought it'd be nice to um, have some protection separately. You know, I, my dog had passed away uh, two years prior and I'd always thought it'd be time to get another dog. I'm a little bit fearful of dogs, but all, all of this is to say, I ended up getting a a Rottweiler puppy, (laughs) Um, my COVID puppy, a Rottweiler. And he was a little thing then he's over a hundred pounds now, currently laying on my floor at one years old and change. But yeah, that was a new addition. Onyx made it, his name's Onyx, and he made it into the course. He was in the inside the episodes. But it also made made me, again, think about the course in terms of other people who have dogs. You know, we, we had a few dogs in the course. We had a scene where, you know, a, a dog barking and someone's reaction really was at, at the time of a big reveal in the course. And similarly, we had a character that pretty much stayed in bed the whole time throughout the course. Some of these things were drawing on, you know, certain days that I had <laughs> and talking to others about their experience. You know, some people are able to do do this all very well without a hitch. Some people, you know, struggle at different times throughout. And so I think the puppy, the dog, you know, there's different things that I personally did or I heard from others, like, you know, walking, walking with friends, um, that sort of thing. Being able to incorporate in that them in the course was, you know, an idea again to kind of illustrate what's really going on at Microsoft. So again, thinking about the learning, the underlying learning content that we have to get across and layering that with engaging pieces that give context to the learning, but also are relatable for the employee. That's really key to, you know, how we've been doing this course for the last couple of years. 
I've never been in a company that has talked about a training compliance course ever. So um, you've made your mark there on that. And yeah, as you were talking about, I think authenticity is a, a big thing for all this. And especially as we get back to the new normal to keep that authenticity, I, I hope it will be one of the things that we do on that. I, I do have to ask one question, Rochelle. Uh, was there ever a chance that the dog's name might be Nelson? <laughs> That's funny. You know, I thought I thought about that later, but no. Yeah, my my son named the dog. <laughs> And, you know, I'd asked the morning before I got him, like, and that's the first thing that came out of his mouth. And the reason why actually is when I was a young kid, I wanted to name my daughter that I was my imaginary daughter that I eventually have, but I never did have Onyx. And I used to joke with my son about that, how that could have been his name and how <laughs> and my son's name is Evan. But I said, you know, the powers that be made sure I didn't have a girl <laughs> because, you know, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about the, how that name would have actually worked. For her, so when he threw out Onyx, I thought, yes, finally, um, I can name the dog. I can get to get to say that name. I, I just thought it's such a cool name. But I do think about Nelson. I, actually, um, Onyx and I have a walk. I live in the East Lake area, and there's the, a sign that says Nelson's Place <laughs> that we pass all of the time. Well, great. Uh, Rochelle Tanner is a senior corporate counsel for compliance and ethics at Microsoft. Rochelle, thank you so much for being on Remote Space. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.